Good morning, church. Good morning. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 22? Good job. Some people got that. Good, good. Uh, good. I was, I was hoping that joke would land right. Uh, we finished John last week. Scott came and did an incredible job. Thank you so much of, of, of covering the last chapter of John. And before we move to the book of Daniel, as, as Jamie said, I want us to have a, a time to kind of sit and remember what we talked about for the past six months. Because if you're like me, there's a temptation to come to church and receive the word and it go in one ear and out the other. And so I want us to really do three things this morning. I want us to talk about the value of Scripture. I want us to talk about how each one of us studies Scripture and kind of how we learn. And then I want to show you how we can take some steps so that Scripture does not go in one ear and out the other as we study. Because if we're, we don't want to waste our time here. This is time with our Father, and we want to be changed as we uh, read the Word in our, in our, and we see who God is. And I don't really know of a better way to talk about the value of Scripture without just telling you a little bit of, of my story. I grew up in a Christian home, uh, phenomenal parents who taught me the Word of God. I went to Sunday school, and everybody in my life growing up told me that I knew a lot about Scripture. They said, in fact, I knew more Scripture than anyone they had seen that age. And I just believed them because everybody was telling me I was a pretty good kid, and I knew all the Sunday school answers. But I never read God's Word. I just knew what people had told me about God's word. I knew how to sit in a Sunday school class or sit in, in the living room with my parents and then teach me something and me regurgitate information. And so everybody in my life, because I was really good at doing that, told me I knew scripture. And then I was about 13 years old and I went on a beach trip with my family. And every time I went to the beach, I would pack my Bible in my backpack because that's just what you did. You want a trip, you packed your Bible. I would never read it. It would stay at the bottom of my backpack that entire trip, but I would always pack it. And God did a work in my life on that road trip to the beach where I just saw my Bible in my backpack and thought, huh, I might read it. And I opened it up and I read the book of Romans as a 13-year-old kid, and it blew me away. And church, I knew much of the content of Romans. I knew the gospel message. I knew that God had grace for me. I knew that we were justified uh, by faith in Christ. We had peace with God. But when I read it off the page, it hit different because it wasn't me, my Sunday school teacher, and God. It wasn't me, my parents, and God. It was me and God. And I realized that time in the Word is time with my Father. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Is there someone who is force-feeding you Scripture? Or do you know how to fish yourself? Do you know how to get into the word and spend time with the Father one on one? And, and this time here, church, I want you to hear me. I will give you the word of God, but I want to model for you how you study the scripture so that when you come in here, you're just joining me and doing what we've been doing all week with our Father. I want that to be the way we work because God's word is the revelation of himself. It is truth without any mixture of error. It is uh, the, the tool that God uses to sanctify his church, to explain the Father, to reveal Christ, to exalt him. And we need to be in this book. And because we as a church have a very high view of scripture, that this is God's main tool to make you holy. I want you to hear me say that, that we, we exist to connect all people to a growing relationship with Jesus, but a major part of that is to connect people to a growing relationship with scripture. And so when I'm sitting there in a, in a living room with Dustin and Jamie before this church even started meeting on Sundays and they say, we're going to do ex expositional preaching, I got very, very excited 
Because expositional preaching is a a method that we use because we have this high view of Scripture that God will make you holy as you study his word. Exposition, you can see on the sheet if you've got it, really exposition, what it means, it means to draw out God's truth. It says revealing God's truth, pulling out God's meaning, and and applying God's truth to our lives. That's what we want to do as a church. Because we believe that I don't have anything of value to say to you uh, myself, but that God's word has spoken. It can make you holy. It can make you like him. And so we draw it out. We say, what has God said? And then we study that. And the way we're going to do that is through preaching through books of the Bible. And you guys have already seen that if you're around here, right? We've gone through Acts forever. We went through Ecclesiastes. We went through Ephesians and so many other books. I don't have to come up with a seven-week series for your sanctification on fatherhood or on grace or all these different things. God has made the series. It's called the Gospel of John, and so we're just going to study it from beginning to end. You guys see this? And so we're going to pick a book of the Bible, and we're going to go through it. And that's going to be the vast majority of how we study, because we believe God has spoken, and we want to uh, steward God's truth the best way we can and model for you how you should live and how you should study God's word. But there's a term there in in bold called systematic theology. And this is a lot of times what people do when they uh, create a seven-week series on fatherhood or or seven-week series on grace. They they come with a topic and say, okay, let's get a bunch of different scriptures together to talk about this one topic. And and I want to make a case here this morning that this is not necessarily bad to do this because each one of us, we're systematizers. Do you know that? That you're always building your worldview. You're always building what you believe about God, about the world, about other people every day of your life. And systematic theology is kind of like a theological bucket. Let's just give this bucket a topic. Let's label it. Let's label it the character of God. Okay? And everything in this bucket is my view of God. Every day of your life, you are putting things into this bucket to decide what you believe about God. Now, I would hope that you have nothing but scripture in this bucket. I would love that. But sadly, we don't just have scripture in our buckets about God. Amen? What does scripture say about God? Let's just put our bucket here for God's character. I could open up the Bible, and I could look at Genesis 1.1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's just say I take that verse, Genesis 1-1, what does it tell me about God? He's creator, okay? So systematic theology is when you take that verse and say, okay, I know something about God, he's creator, and you put it in your bucket. You guys see this? Let's just take another verse, John 3-16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What did I just learn about God in that passage? Well, several things, but we'll just pick one. God loves the world. Take that verse, and I put it in my bucket about God. What am I doing? I'm forming a systematic theology of God's character. What do I know about him? I'm not guessing about God, because he's revealed himself in his word. I know my God made me, and he loves me. Do you guys see this? There are other voices, though, besides scripture that want to be in your bucket. Do you know that? What other voices? The enemy, God doesn't love you. You've done too much to deserve the grace of God. What about the world? God didn't create the world. Nature created nature. God doesn't exist. If God exists, he's not good. And so many things are competing to be in your bucket. 
Do you know this? And so what happens, y'all, is we need to constantly be kind of looking at our systematic theology, open up the file cabinets and seeing what's in our bucket and saying, do I have a worldview that's built on scripture or something else? And what's amazing, church, is we don't even really know what's scripture and what's not. Can I give you a story about this quickly? When I was a youth pastor at a church before I came here, I had two people in two years in our church commit suicide. And it was devastating. And kind of my area in student ministry was to help these students through that process and and, and grieving those, those things. And I had one student in particular who was just really struggling with the loss of these two people. And I mean, we just, we just kept talking about it over and over again. This was a process of months. And I knew this person was sad, but I couldn't just figure out why. And in one conversation, after just several months of trying to figure out the way they were processing and thinking about God's character, they shared with me a piece of theology that they had. And that was this that God automatically sends every person who commits suicide to hell. And when I heard that, my heart broke because I realized they had something in their theological bucket that wasn't in Scripture. And I got to say, show me that in Scripture. And you know what? They couldn't. And then I got to show them Romans 6, 7, and 8. A worldview based on scripture, which says that we have been justified by faith. That's actually Romans 5. We should not continue in sin. We have peace with God, but there's still a war within ourselves, and I'm going to fall short and fail God. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And if you are in Christ, it does not matter what we do. Christ's work is accepting for the Father, not mine. And so suicide is the same as any other sin. And I found out a family member had shared that with them family member had put something in someone else's bucket. And so they were grieving because they had an inaccurate view of God. Church, I just want to say, you're putting things in your bucket. You may be putting something in someone else's bucket as well. So this is very, very important for us to know, what are we building our worldview on? Are we building on scripture or something else? And notice I have in that thing, I said, we don't ask expository questions, we ask systematic questions. And what I mean by that is no one ever walks up to me or probably walks up to you and says, what do you believe about John chapter two? They never ask that. They ask, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about grace? What do you believe about redemption? What do you believe about homosexuality? What do you believe about race? What do you believe about the kingdom of God? We ask systematic questions. We ask someone to take their bucket of all the things that they filled up in scripture and to unpack it and show them the truth about God. And so all of us have to do this. We have to build our systematic theology. And there's so many different things that we can build it on. We need to build it on scripture. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you the theme of John, the thing that you can fill your bucket up the most. And it is the mission of God. I laughed. Somebody walked in this morning and said, why is this sheet in Spanish? Because they saw the first two words. That made me laugh so hard. It's not Spanish. It's Latin. Mission of God in the Gospel of John. This is what we're going to fill our bucket up with. And we're going to kind of take a 30,000-foot view of the Gospel of John. I'm going to show you what John is teaching us about the mission of God. Now, most of the time, we won't say Missio Dei or mission of God. We talk about missions when we talk about this, right? And I I love this term, Missio Dei, um, which just means mission of God. I love this term because it sounds cool and confuses people, but also it, it helps us understand that missions is God's mission. It's not mine. 
The mission of God did not start when Jesus gave the Great Commission. It didn't start with Lottie Moon. It started before the foundation of the earth when God said, I'm going to redeem all things in Christ. And that's our definition of missio deus, the mission of God, God's eternal proactive plan to redeem the church and establish all things under the authority of Christ. This was God's plan from the beginning before the beginning. And Christ was not God's plan B. He didn't have a design, and then we fail that design, and then him go to a second plan to redeem us. No, Christ was the plan A from the beginning. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to fill up our buckets with a systematic theology of the mission of God. We need to understand what's going on in Scripture with the mission of God before we get to the book of John. Well, we know that God had a design for humanity. He made us holy and happy. He made us to reflect his image and his character to his world, but we fell short of that. We sinned, and so God promised, even the garden, Genesis chapter 3, that he would send a redeemer, a Messiah, one who would come, who would redeem us and bring us back to a relationship with God. He would restore God's design. And then throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis 3 on, we see God's people fail, but God is faithful to his covenant people, and he gives them a law, and he, he gives them the prophets, and, and, and all these prophets are pointing forward to the one who would come. And we talked about this even in the Gospel of John. For thousands of years, these people were looking forward to this Messiah who would come to complete the mission of God the one who would finish the mission of God. The book of Malachi ends the Old Testament, and then John picks up with the other gospel writers after 400 years of silence, and he says, we found him. We found the one who is going to complete the mission of God. And so you can see on our sheet here, kind of in the middle, I have five things that I want us to look at about the mission of God, five conclusions we can draw. What is John about? John tells us that Jesus Christ is a missionary, that he was the one sent by the Father to fulfill the mission of God. Second, Jesus accomplished the mission of God. The work that the Father sent him to do, he did it. And that, the culmination of that is in John 19, verses 28 through 30, when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. When he said, I finished the work that the Father sent me to do. Third is kind of the theme for the whole book that we talked about so much is that the mission, or excuse me, we receive eternal life by believing in Christ alone. How do I receive the benefits of God's mission, of his redemptive plan that has unfolded throughout the Old Testament into the Gospels? I, I do it by having faith in Christ. And the fourth one is the scope of God's mission. Who does God love? Who was he sent to redeem? And John is going to tell us that the mission of God is for all people from all nations. And then number five is the next chapter in the mission of God. Notice the wording here. The church is sent to continue the finished mission of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a really good way of thinking about our role today. We continue the finished mission. Is there more work to be done? No, and yes. Christ finished it on the cross. He secured our salvation. He paid the price for our salvation, and then he sends us with the gospel to share it with others, and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And so from this point on, I'm going to ask if you do have your Bibles to turn with me to John chapter 1, and we're going to walk through about five or six passages in the gospel of John. I'm going to show you how these themes unfold from the beginning of the chapter, from, or from book, from John 1 to John 21. Have you guys ever seen those TV shows before where they have a special episode where they just give you the different clips of all the best parts of the show? That's kind of what we're going to do this morning. And I want to show you the, the mission thread 
the thread of the Missio Dei that goes from the beginning of the book to the end. The first question that the writers or the readers of this gospel would have been asking is who is God going to send to fulfill God's redemptive plan, to fulfill the Missio Dei? And in John chapter 1, John answers that question. He says, the Father is sending the Son. So start with me in John 1, verses 14 through 17. We're told, and the Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. He was sent and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, John's telling us, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And earlier in the chapter, he says he is God. Remember, he, he was at the creation of the world. All things were created through him. But this Jesus Christ stepped down into creation. He became flesh. He was a missionary. He was the one sent from God so that we might have salvation in his name. And I love um, verse 17. It says the law was given through Moses, but grace was given to us through Jesus Christ. You know, Paul kind of fleshes that idea out in Romans chapter 8, but he tells us that Jesus came down to do what the law couldn't do. He says the law can't save you. The law is an, an agent of grace. Jesus Christ is. He brought grace. And so he's telling us that we know who he is. His name is Jesus. He's the one who's going to come fulfill the mission. Then the next question kind of the gospel writer is helping us understand is, well, who does Jesus love? Who did he come to save? And I don't want to, we know the verse, but it's in John 3, verse 16, when Jesus goes and he begins to talk with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And the gospel writer would, would, would help all of us understand it would be kind of a given that Jesus came to save the nation of Israel. In fact, that's what most people believed. And so it makes sense that he would talk to Nicodemus. But even then, he gives us John 3, 16, and he says, for God so loved the world. Aren't you so glad that verse does not read, for God so loved the nation of Israel? Because I'm not in the nation of Israel. I was thinking about it this way, but imagine Jesus is a Christmas present. You guys know those little tags you can buy at Walmart where you put to and from, and you just fill out those little tags? Jesus is a gift of God. So we would put from the Father. But John 3.16 tells us the two. It's not to Israel from the Father. It's to the world from the Father. Praise God. You know that word there in the Greek is cosmos, which means it's all people and all of creation. He will redeem people and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And so we're told a little bit about the scope of the mission of God. It is for the world. And then we see uh, in John chapter 3, he talks to a religious leader, but then John chapter 4, he talks to someone outside of the nation of Israel, the woman at the well. Turn with me to John 4, verses 21 through 23. The Samaritan woman knew that there was this divide between uh, Jews and Samaritans and that uh, the Jews believed salvation was just for them and, and that the Samaritans were left on the outside. But Jesus tells them about the Holy Spirit coming and the mission of God and how he would create worshipers of all peoples who would worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But an hour is coming, listen to this, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says, I'm coming to redefine that line of those who worship God and those who do not. That line will not be about culture or, or, or race, skin color, background, who your parents were. It will be about, do you have the Holy Spirit or do you not have the Holy Spirit? And he's saying, I'm coming to rewrite the dividing lines. We're told in Ephesians chapter 3, Christ abolished those distinctions on the cross. God really does love the world. And then in John chapter 5, verse 24, we see a little bit about um, the belief that we're called to have to receive the benefits of the mission of God into our lives. You guys remember I told you, maybe you don't remember, in October when we first started, the word believe is in the gospel of John, I think it's 38 or 39 times. And so I could have really gone crazy with the number of verses that we had there, but I tried to limit it. But I love John 5, 24, because it tells us we should believe in Jesus, and it shows us that he was sent from God. Look at this verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. He tells us we should believe in him as the source of our eternal life, but he is also the one sent by the Father. And you can see these verses on your sheet under number one, Jesus Christ is a missionary. Again and again, as Jesus talks, he says, the Father sent me. I'm not here of my own will. The Father has sent me to you. Jesus Christ really was missionary. One more verse that I love that kind of shows us the scope of the mission of God is John 10, verse 16. Will you turn there with me? John 10, verse 16, a little bit of context. Jesus is talking, and he tells us that he is the good shepherd, right? One of these I am statements where he's telling us about who he is, and he's calling them back to Psalm chapter 23. But listen how he describes the sheep in this passage. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. He's telling us about the scope of the mission of God, that he didn't come just to save the sheep in one sheep pen in one fold, but that he came to save the nations. He came to save all people. He says, there are other sheep that aren't in your circles. I'm going to get them, and we'll be one people established under one shepherd. And then as we keep going on, we're going to see uh, kind of the second half of the gospel is going to show us more about Jesus finishing the mission of God, and he's also going to challenge and equip the church to go out and fulfill the mission of God later. And I was noticing as I was studying this week, of uh, doing this uh, Missio Day study, really how I did this, y'all, in case you're wondering, I read the Gospel of John four times this week and noticed these themes. And so really what you're doing is you're allowing Scripture to show you what John's trying to communicate through all of this. But the way that John writes about the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the book and the end of the book is, is very different. It's very different. Check this out. In, in the first couple of chapters, Jesus is telling us that the Holy Spirit is the one who applies salvation 
into your life. John the Baptist said that. He's saying he's come with, with a greater baptism, right? John baptizes with water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then John chapter 3, uh, Jesus says, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless they are born again by the Spirit. So he's teaching us that the Holy Spirit is the one who applies salvation into our lives. But then in the second half of the book, starting really in about verse 13, Jesus starts telling us the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be coming into the church to empower them to fulfill the mission of God. Look with me at John 14, verse 12. Jesus teaching at the Last Supper, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And then skip down with me to Verse uh, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus telling us, hey, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to continue the finished mission of God. And from Jesus' teaching in the Last Supper, we see him arrested on trial before Caiaphas and Annas and Pilate. Then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. The mission of God is finished. Let's read that passage together. John 19, 28 through 30. It's good to hear people turn their Bibles, isn't it? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's finished. Jesus came to do what he was sent to do. And in the final two chapters, we see that, that number five, the church is sent to continue the finished mission of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that play out in John 20, verses 21 and 22. We read it just a couple of weeks ago. The resurrected Christ appears to the disciples. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's been telling us all gospel, he was sent by the Father. Jesus was sent by the Father. And he says, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And how is he sending them out? With the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission of God. And then we see, you can see on, on, the, on the sheet, that the mission of God continues throughout the New Testament. I just put some of the different books and kind of their, how they speak about the mission of God, right? Acts is the record, the narrative record of how the church goes out and they reach the known world in, in one generation. And then the, we have Paul's letters, the, the epistles where... He talks about the gospel in such incredible detail and how the gospel applies to our lives. And, and we're encouraged, we're rebuked, we're purified, we're challenged and equipped through those. The pastoral epistles are phenomenal. They're, they're the record of Paul saying, hey, the mission of God needs to be passed down to each generation. And so he passes, and he passes it down and he challenges these people as well. Thessalonians and Revelation. 
we shy away from these a little bit because they're heavy into prophecy of the second coming of the Lord. It says it points to the next chapter, Christ's returning kingdom. All things will be made new. I know that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but just think about the gospel of John. When I write these five points, Jesus is a missionary. Jesus accomplished the mission of God. We receive eternal life by believing Christ alone. The mission of God is for all people. We're called to go and continue the finished mission. When I write those things, I'm not guessing about what God's called me to do. I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these things are true. Why? Because they're taught in the Gospel of John, not once, but again and again. Jesus saying, hey, did you miss it? I was sent by God. Hey, I'm sending you. Wait, let me tell you one more time, just in case if you missed it, because we need to know these things. So I want to challenge you and ask you, we've studied the gospel of John for six months. And Jesus has told us what he requires of us and what he's done for us. Does your life line up and align with the heart of God and the mission of God? Can you say, yeah, I've been sent out to fulfill the mission of God. God's put his Holy Spirit in me for a reason. I'm not drawing lines. I'm not uh, creating uh, barriers between other people in my life. No, I recognize that the mission of God is for all people from all nations. And so I'm willing to reach across cultural lines for the sake of the gospel. I believe Jesus accomplished the mission of God. That's a big one. There's no more work for me to do to be accepted before God. I believe in what he has done. Church, I really pray that our time in the Gospel of John wasn't wasted. And if we'll take these five things and we'll live our lives, putting these things in our bucket and living accordingly, then I believe the time in the Gospel of John was worth our while. In closing and quickly, I just want to challenge you. We did this with the Gospel of John. You can do it with every single book of the Bible. I know the gospel of John better than I've ever known it before because we studied it for six months. But we need to have an attitude of on to the next. As a church and as individuals, you need to have that attitude. I've studied this book. I know it. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you study a book of the Bible like Ephesians and you just know it really well. And so if you're not planning on how to study God's word, one day you just open it up and you might just go back to Ephesians because it's comfortable. Anybody been there before? Can we have this attitude of, yeah, I've studied Ephesians, but I have a hunger for God's word. Let's go to the next book. Let's go to Ephesians. Let's go, to, let's go, let's go crazy. Let's go to Ezekiel. And let's study God's word. Do we believe? Do we live by the high view of scripture that we claim to have? That every book is God's revelation of himself. Psalmist says in Psalm 119 that the word of God is to be valued and desired more than gold. Do I love his word more than I love money? Do I see the value in it above money? So here's your challenge, and you can see this in the bottom of the sheet. What you could do with this sheet as you go home and you study, you could throw this sheet away before you leave this building. Don't make us pick these all up. Please take this home. You could go home and you could take this sheet and you could do a little bit of Bible study. You could look up all these verses I've listed and see and again and again and again, Jesus telling us that he was sent. And that would be a good thing. But I want to challenge you with the third one. You in your own personal time of the Lord could pick a book of the Bible, read through it, 
and notice the themes. Notice what God is telling you again and again in Galatians. He tells us about the law. He tells us about freedom and slavery. In the book of Psalms, he tells us so much about God's character. He tells us that our Lord is our light, our salvation, our shield, our rock, our refuge, our strength. In the book of Proverbs, we're told how different people live, the wise, the fool, and the scoffer. And don't read Galatians and then say, check, I read Galatians and move on to the next. Read Galatians. Read it again. Reread it after that. And then read it one more time. Because I'm not content to just say I've read through the whole Bible. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to say I know the God of the Bible. And so we read it and we read it again until it gets in here. And it begins to change us. And it begins to mold us into people who are more like Christ. Amen? One last thing, and I'll ask the band to come up. This is intimidating. When I come and I bring something like this before you, there are some of you who have been in God's word, and you've developed some skills along the way, and you say, yeah, this is absolutely doable. I can go home and I can do something like this. I can do it with my wife. And there's some of you here who are kind of there. There are some of you who are saying, I don't know what this Spanish stuff is about this morning, right? And you can be that way too. I want to challenge you to recognize if you need help to go get help. Because there are people in this room who know how to do this and they want to help you. And I call them connect group leaders. And every week we get in houses together and we study God's word and we talk about what we did in the sermon. And people can ask questions and they can learn how to use their study Bibles and you can grow together. But it takes a step of humility to say, I need help. And I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to go find somebody. You know who a connect group leader in here. I know you do. Grab somebody and say, I want to know God. I want to desire and love his word. I need help. Church, that's like Christmas morning for me. When somebody comes and says that, we will not make fun of you. We'll rejoice with you. Because this is what we exist to do. So church, if there's a next step you need to take this morning in your relationship with the word of God, maybe that's you've got to believe in Jesus to have life in his name. Maybe that's you just need to commit. You know how to do some of this stuff. You just haven't been doing it. You just needed somebody to challenge you. Maybe you need to come alongside a connect group and say, I need help. Whatever your next step is, I ask you to search your heart, spend some time with the Lord as we sing together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we would never operate from a low view of Scripture. Father, that we would never live life apart from your word. God, I ask forgiveness the times I choose social media and I choose Netflix and I choose so many other distractions instead of time with my father. Lord, I pray that as a a community, as a culture of this church, we would not shame each other, but Lord, we would just invite people into the beauty of Scripture and say, come to the water. It'll never be the same. Lord, we pray above all, this would not just be a time of intellectual. Will this be an act of worship? 
say, I want to do this because I want to know God. Father, would you be glorified in this time? In Jesus' name, amen.